BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. San Francisco used to be a ferry town. Before the Golden Gate Bridge and before the Bay Bridge, San Francisco's ferry building was the symbol of the city, and the waters were teeming with commuters heading across the bay. In recent years, there's been a resurgence of ferry service, with ridership popping up over 5 million passengers a year in the late aughts. Then came COVID. While all public transit fell off a cliff, the ferries were hit particularly hard. The boats to Marin lost 95% of their riders. But despite the Delta variant, they're coming back. And we'll talk with the leaders of the ferry services about their plans. That's all next on Forum, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Not much can beat sipping a coffee or drink from the cafe as you gaze over the San Francisco skyline heading to or from work on one of the ferries that crisscross the Bay Waters. But the pandemic lockdown hit the ferries hard. From one day to the next, for example, the Golden Gate Ferry went from operating six vessels a day to just two. In this hour, we'll hear the latest on when ferry service will be restored to pre-pandemic levels, discuss the post-COVID, if we can say that any more plans of the agencies, and contemplate the deep future of the Bay's ferry system. Joining us is Dan Brecky, editor and reporter with KQED News. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thanks, Alex. Good to be here. Seamus Murphy, executive director, Water Emergency Transportation Authority. Welcome, Seamus. Thank you. And Jim Swindler, Deputy General Manager of the Ferry Division of the Golden Gate Bridge Highway and Transportation District. Thank you. Great to be with you. So, um, Dan, why don't we start with you? And you can just give us a quick 
reset. So what happened as we came into the pandemic with the ferry service in the Bay? Well, you know, I think it's a familiar story now that the pandemic and the associated shelter at home orders um, blew up transit agencies uh, of whatever mode, uh, buses, uh, rail, and, and ferries. Um, the thing that really gets your attention with the ferries is that uh, for a long time, um, ferry service had been growing in popularity and the service had been been becoming more and more thorough across the bay. So uh, the Water Emergency Transit Agency, which operates boats under the more consumer-friendly name of San Francisco Bay Ferries, was on a steady upward escalator, um, increasing service and increasing ridership. Uh, I think 2019 was the first year that they actually crossed 3 million uh, passengers. Um, the Golden Gate Ferry Service is a, a, a longtime workhorse that uh, the North Bay commuters have uh, have used and loved and tourists have used and loved for, for decades. And uh, that was continuing and it's crucial for uh, diverting traffic from the Golden Gate Bridge and, and keeping that link um, usable for, for drivers. Um, so that's where we were. And then, uh, you know, you set it up pretty well at the top. Um, it, you know, people just vanished. Just flatlined and, it, yeah. Yes, it, and, and it is, you know, I was looking at uh, some of the numbers that um, uh, WIDA, the uh, Water Emergency Transportation Authority had, and, and they were down to, you know, a few hundred riders a day at most at the bottom of this. Wow. So, and, and now we're rebuilding. Um, yeah. You know, you talked about the, uh, where we're going to, when we'll get back to pre-pandemic levels, uh, San Francisco Bay Ferries is actually, uh, as of July 1st, running more service than they uh, ran before the pandemic began. And uh, Golden Gate Transit is on the uh, route to establishing more service. So that's yeah. kind of where we are. Thank you, Dan. Um, Seamus, let's talk a little bit about the investments that went in on the upward trajectory of ferry service before the pandemic. How had the service changed really you know, over the last decade? Yeah, it, it was established over the last decade and grew really rapidly. Uh, we were seeing on average 23% ridership increase over the last uh, six years leading up to the pandemic. Uh, Dan mentioned 2019, we passed 3.2 million riders for the first time, uh, and that year was a 35% increase over the previous year. So it was picking up exponentially and, you know, due to a lot of factors, one uh, principally expanded job and population growth around the region, uh, ferry service has traditionally served commuters uh, working in office-based jobs, uh, and those office-based jobs were growing rapidly in downtown San Francisco, especially, but throughout the region. Region. So ridership grew because of that. And then, as you mentioned, uh, those uh, jobs in particular flatlined uh, immediately with the start of the pandemic. And so did ridership. Yeah. And Jim Swindler um, with Golden Gate uh, Bridge Highway and Transportation District. Um, the same thing obviously happened in Marin. But up to that point, had you been adding boats? Had you been investing in, you know, increasing ferry service? Uh, yes, we've actually been uh, increasing ferry service pretty much um, a little bit at a time for the past 10 to 15 years. We've seen uh, tremendous growth. Uh, as an example, we actually had to reconfigure our parking lot uh, twice uh, in the time I've been here to uh, expand parking. We uh, have added uh, at least two vessels to the fleet. I'll have a fleet of seven 
uh, and it's been an ongoing uh, for us, you know, incremental uptick um, over the past 10, 15 years. And we've been probably for the past two or three years, right at around 2.5 to 2.6 million mm -hmm. passengers annually. And actually one of the constraints on our system uh, pre-pandemic was actually our ability to park vehicles to get people to the ferry. Mm. And that's something that uh, we had begun work on and continue to work on uh, in hopes of uh, getting back to the point that uh, we are at pre-pandemic. Sure. Jim, let's stay with you. Um, as ridership collapsed, how were you actually able to financially survive during this period where we kind of Im imagined ridership would come back? So not like you wanted to sell off all the assets, but you also had, you know, essentially no revenue coming in. Right. Well, a couple of things had to happen. First, initially, um, within uh, a couple of days of it, we took our service uh, down to one vessel operating uh, out of Larkspur from, uh, from three or four vessels operating daily. Uh, we took um, and made a triangle uh, from uh, Tiburon to Sausalito, then into the city, and we, you know, we decreased that service as well. But with the uh, with the precipitous decline in ferry ridership during the pandemic, we saw uh, obviously a significant decrease in our regular ferry revenues. Uh, Pre-pandemic, uh, our ferry service was funded primarily with fares, but we, we were recovering just just over fifty percent of our fares at the fare box. And bridge tolls, uh, about forty percent, made up the balance of that. Uh, but we, with uh, the bridge tolls, and obviously the revenue at the bridge being collected fell over the past eighteen months months as well. Um, even after reducing expenses by suspending all weekend service and trips by seventy percent, um, we were only able to keep our staff on the payroll and maintain essential ferry service with the significant federal assistance that we received. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're incredibly grateful to Speaker Pelosi and the entire Bay Area congressional delegation for the assistance that we received. Um, so, you know, it's been a it's been a struggle, but um, fortunately, um, you know, we we did receive some significant federal funding, and we were able to uh, not not lay off of any of our staff. Uh, we put them to work in in other areas. And uh, one of the areas that you may have heard about, uh, we teamed <coughs> with the County of Marin uh, to open up a mass vaccination site here at the Larkspur Ferry Terminal. Mm. And it was, uh, it was great for the community. It was also great for us as well. It gave us a purpose yeah. uh, during some very difficult times during COVID. And during that period, uh, just like the, the mention that we, uh, we vaccinated over 60,000 people here at the site. Wow. Seamus Murphy, Executive Director with Water Emergency Transportation Authority. Is the story the same basically for you for you all? It's pretty much identical. I, I, without the, the funding from the federal relief packages and the support of Speaker Pelosi and the delegation in particular, I think transit systems, not just ferries, but other systems would be talking about shutting down, certainly would have laid off or furloughed a large portion of their workforce. But uh, we were able to maintain some service. We cut uh, two of our five routes completely, reduced service dramatically on the other three. We kept some service in place, just like Golden Gate Ferry did, because we still had uh, thousands of uh, essential workers out there that are transit dependent that needed to get to jobs uh, to serve the region, help the region get through the darkest days of the pandemic. And then we've seen ridership gradually increase over the course of the calendar year. Uh, now the question is, what do we need to do to keep that going? Yeah. And you all have tried out uh, cutting fares, right? That's been kind of a main strategy to get people back on the boat. 
Yeah, we're trying that. Uh, we have a, a few strategies that we're trying. Um, we think that the market, certainly during the pandemic, uh, was uh, very different from our commuter-based market that we serve uh, uh, normally. Uh, we think that you know it's more transit-dependent. It's lower income for sure, uh, and so we want to be responsive to that. We think that market is pr- is likely to be the market that returns to transit and has been returning to transit uh, in larger numbers than commuter-based office jobs. So we did uh, reduce our fares. We we think it's important that uh, transit riders, uh, especially during this time, can choose the option that's best for them. So we've tried to align our fares with other transit options like BART and, and buses that uh, cross the bay. Uh, so it's about a 20 percent reduction in fares. And we've evolved our service where we're, we've added in. You mentioned we're, at, we're running more service than we did prior to the pandemic. And that mostly is because we've added in uh, a significant amount of midday service and weekend service, anticipating that uh, some of those workers are going to be working non-traditional hours, non-traditional shifts, uh, and will need service at a different time than we've traditionally provided it. So we want to be responsive to that. We want to make sure we're putting a service out there that's most relevant to the ridership demand that exists today. And is it working? Are people responding to it? Yeah, we have had some good, uh, good uh, initial uh, ridership increases. Uh, we, of course, don't want to overreact because the sample size is really small. And we're expecting that the Delta variant uh, and how that's evolving is going to uh, put a dent in some of these ridership numbers. But before that news was so prevalent, uh, our first week of increased service, we saw uh, uh, service go up from uh, 20% of uh, what it normally is pre-pandemic up to 44% of pre-pandemic service. The weekend service in particular, which we weren't operating at all during the uh, during the peak of the pandemic, but brought back uh, at, in early July, uh, immediately jumped up to over 80% of, uh, of our uh, pre-pandemic service. So we think that that's interesting. We want to know a little bit more about who those riders are, why they're using the system, and how to keep uh, more of them uh, using the system in the future. We'll be doing some surveys and, and, and uh, looking into uh, those details uh, in the months to come, but we are expecting the Delta variant to impact uh, ridership uh, in an adverse way, at least in the near future. We're talking about Bay Area Ferry Service with Dan Brecky, editor and reporter at KQED News, Seamus Murphy, the executive director of the Water Emergency Transportation Authority, and Jim Swindler, deputy general manager of the ferry division of the Golden Gate Bridge Highway and Transportation District. What are your ferry questions? If you've thought about using the ferry but haven't yet, tell us what's what's stopping you. Or maybe tell us about what your favorite ferry moment is. Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. And you can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about Bay Area Ferry Service with Dan Brecky, editor and reporter at KQED News, Seamus Murphy, executive director of the Water Emergency Transportation Authority, and Jim Swindler, deputy general manager at Golden Gate Ferry. Um, Dan, before the break, we were talking about the plans and execution of reducing fares and increasing service. Uh, on some of our ferry routes. How does that compare to what's happening with our other modes of public transit? You know, we're sort of in a similar place. Uh, We're a week away from BART getting back to uh, substantially its pre-pandemic schedule. That's going to be a big moment. Um, You know, for instance, this morning, uh, BART had a a, uh, half-hour delay at one point uh, from the East Bay to the city. And um, you know, they don't want to have that happen on their first day of, of uh, quote unquote, regular service. Um, they're kind of ahead of the curve. Uh, you know, Muni is uh, slowly building back. Um, their plans uh, are to uh, establish more service next month, uh, although maybe not be back to full service until late, much later this year or sometime next year. AC Transit has said it might be next spring before they're, they're back to uh, pre-pandemic levels. Levels. But you know, riders are coming back, and I think the—it's uh, been alluded to, uh, I think, by Seamus. And uh, um, I, I think the the wild card here is what we see with um, the pandemic uh, numbers. What happens with the Delta variant? Whether that shifts uh, companies' uh, plans to to bring people back into the office? Because all of these transit services have in common the fact that they're focused on bringing people really to to downtown San Francisco or someplace in San Francisco. I mean to some extent to other places as well. But Silicon Valley, for instance, for, for Caltrain. But I think we're, we're pretty much, uh, you know, it's a wait and see right now. But everybody's moving toward uh, something that would look like normalcy. Where ridership is, is still very low. I mean, uh, BART has seen some robust gains almost every week. They're setting a, a new post-pandemic ridership record, however, they're still just at 21 to 22% of, uh, of their pre-pandemic ridership. Yeah. This morning was the first time there was no space for my bike. So that's my, that's my wow. personal indicator of, <laughs> of uh, BART uh, ridership. I want to talk about, um, let's assume we get past this COVID period, whatever it is, how, however it ends up uh, changing the nature of commuting. Um, what are the new routes that might end up going into effect or that were in effect before the pandemic? And we'll stay with you, uh, Dan. Well, you know, uh, San Francisco Bay Ferries slash uh, Water Emergency Transportation Authority has been talking about, uh, I mean, they, they, well, so to pull back a little bit, they have a long-term growth plan that contemplates Um, as many as, I'm not sure there's a fixed number, but as many as about a dozen uh, new terminals. The ones that seem to be closest from, uh, you know, from what I followed, uh, one might be at Treasure Island, where there's actually a terminal under construction, and there could be some service next year. Uh, There's been uh, talk for some time about a new terminal uh, at the foot of 16th Street uh, next to the Chase Center, there is uh, sort of interim service uh, with an existing dock uh, near that location, you know, Mission Bay in general. Um, there has been, uh, there's a South San Francisco terminal that's been suspended. That ought to come back in uh, uh, October, I guess. And then Redwood City, there's been news about Redwood City recently. Now, 
they've had experimental sort of pilot service off and on over the past decade, uh, mostly with Google and Facebook interested in, in trying ferries to get people to work. But um, there has been a long-term plan to build a real terminal there uh, on Redwood Creek in the, in the port of uh, Redwood City. Um, funding is lining up for that. Um, one of the uh, legislators down there in the South Bay, um, and his name is uh, escaping me right now, it, uh, actually got a $5 million earmark essentially for building the ferry terminal um, at Redwood City. And that would close a funding gap that they need to, uh, they, they need to uh, take care of to make that happen. So those are some of the, the uh, higher profile ones. Uh, there's also been talk for years about Berkeley, Berkeley, um, th there was a, a brief halcyon period uh, in the 70s and 80s when there was some ferry service, privately run ferry service from there. So the city has been talking about that with uh, WIDA. And, um, you know, we can go further out. I mean, people have talked about Hercules, they've talked about Martinez. Um, you know, there are lots of targets, but uh, those are the ones that seem to be closest to actually happening. Yeah. Um, Jim Swindler, what is the limiting factor on getting more ferry infrastructure? Is it really the docks or the slips, the boats? Is it the, the sort of matching up of ridership with, uh, with a, a new terminal? Um, I assume you're talking about from, from Marin County to the city. Yeah, from Marin County to the city. Yeah, well, as, as I mentioned, uh, as I alluded to in my opening remarks, um, one of the limiting factors here is, the, uh, is our parking facility. But it's not only that is uh, we're restricted um, uh, with, an, uh, with an environmental permit for only running a certain number of trips uh, out of Locksburg to the city. And right now we're actually, we have an engineering firm on board and we're looking at uh, both of those issues, uh, the parking, uh, as well as the number of trips that, uh, that we're allowed to operate out of, out of Locksburg. And we were at that, uh, we've been at that, um, at that number for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And um, so we're working on that. Um, the vessels are just a matter of funding. We actually have some funding uh, set aside uh, to build a new vessel. So it's not, uh, it's not that, it's, it's a combination of the two. Once we, um, <clears throat> once we uh, go through our environmental process, uh, expand the parking lot, uh, we, have a, we already have a project on board to rebuild the slips here, uh, here in Locksburg. Uh, we'll be ready to, uh, to expand uh, as the demand is there. And the demand has been there for quite some time uh, with respect to parking for sure. So that's, uh, that's the long-term plan there. And we also have uh, some two capital projects uh, ready to go uh, to rebuild the Sausalito terminal here in Marin, uh, as well as our San Francisco facility uh, at the ferry building. And what about service direct to the East Bay? I mean, Oakland Vice Mayor Rebecca Kaplan called for that, for direct sort of East Bay to North Bay service. Do you think that is something that could happen? Um, it's been talked about for a long time, and I think obviously anything can happen. It's, it's just a matter of the demand being there. Uh, we haven't looked at it um, as closely as, as we uh, maybe should. At some point, we would probably bring a proposal like that to our board uh, and discuss that further. But I think uh, I think anything is is possible with respect to ferries, as as I think uh, WIDA has seen uh, with their mission uh, over the past ten years. I've had the opportunity to kind of watch that grow. So I think uh, I think anything is possible. Yeah, Seamus, tell me about your uh, growth plans that Dan was uh, referencing. 
Yeah, I think Dan summed it up nicely. Uh, we are uh, looking at the Redwood City Service Assembly member Kevin Mullen, who's a, uh, from South San Francisco and is a great champion for ferry service and San Mateo County, uh, put $5 million in the state budget, as Dan mentioned, to help uh, kickstart that. Uh, the Berkeley service is being studied as well. Uh, we're looking at piloting a service from San Francisco Ferry Building to Oyster Point. There's a significant amount of job growth happening there, uh, some major new employment campuses opening there. And we know because of the nature of the biotech work that happens there that uh, employees are going to be in the office. So we want to explore that market uh, potentially this fiscal year uh, as well. Uh, the, there are some uh, funding challenges, obviously. Uh, the, the RM3, Regional Measure 3, was passed by voters in 2018. It's a bridge toll measure that has a, an expenditure plan attached to it uh, that's oriented around congestion relief throughout the region. Uh, ferry service for SF Bay Ferry expansion is a significant part of that expenditure plan. There's also operating funding in that measure, but it's being challenged right now uh, legally. It's, uh, in, it's pending decision by the uh, California Supreme Court probably sometime over over the next eight to 10 months is when we're going to get a result on that. And our ability to, ability to expand service around the region is going to be directly tied to the outcome of that case. Yeah. You know, I, um, I think I may have missed it. Did you mention Mission Bay uh, as a possible source of site of expansion? Yeah, Dan mentioned the the uh, terminal next to the Chase Center. We have a project there uh, that also has a, a, a pretty significant funding gap. Uh, we're exploring some of the federal programs that are available, perhaps the infrastructure bill as a source of funding that uh, could cover that gap. Uh, there are some other options as well. Uh, the, there's a, a great deal of discretion, new discretionary grant programs uh, that are going to be available at the state and the federal level if the infrastructure bill uh, is successful. Uh, that all of uh, transit and transportation will be improved by. Uh, and that uh, project is one that's going to need uh, some movement uh, at both the state and the federal levels in order to move forward. Got it. I want to bring in Walter from San Leandro. Welcome to the show, Walter. Uh, this has been a subject or an interest of mine for probably the last 15 years. <laughs> and at one point, what a uh, was seriously looking at bringing San Leandro into the picture, particularly as a, the eastern terminus for uh, Mission Bay and Redwood City, uh -huh. uh, as opposed to the uh, second San Mateo Bridge that uh, Diane Feinstein has championed. But uh, we had a we've had three. The current administration is in favor of bringing service over, but the pre, three previous services uh, administrations were actively opposed to uh, bringing it in and what had just kind of backed off. In fact, uh, recommending a terminal in Hercules as opposed to San Leandro. Uh, a couple of engineers came over at my invitation uh, a number of years ago, looked at the uh, facilities at the San Leandro Marina said, you've got an old boatyard that would grandfather in as the potential site for a terminal. The main problem is a dredging question. But what the city has not looked at is the effect that bringing commuters through the city would have on their uh, the economic impact that these commuters would have. Uh, BART has two terminals, the Bayfair Station and the San Leandro Station, 
within easy shuttle service distance of the marina to avoid a parking problem for people coming in from the East Bay, the Livermore, Dublin, Pleasanton area. Uh, at one point, I actually presented a series of letters to the, I think it was, uh, I'd have to go back to my files to see which commission. Yeah, well, let me, um, let me get Seamus Murphy's uh, reaction to uh, San Leandro uh, Terminal that Walter obviously has been, been advocating for for quite some time. Yeah, what Walter's talking about is sort of happening everywhere, and it was prior to the pandemic. The The desire for water transit service is uh, is strong. It still is, even though we have this period of uncertainty. Uh, we're focused on making sure that our system can survive the next few years of what we know will be lower than normal ridership, but we can't stop planning for the future. So WIDA has, uh, is launching a, a business plan process, uh, and Walter uh, will be comforted to know that San Leandro officials are excited to be engaged in that process. They've already proactively reached out to us to learn more about it. But communities throughout the Bay are going to be uh, uh, meeting with us uh, and engaging in uh, discussions about uh, the viability of ferry service and expanding it throughout the Bay, uh, Hercules and other communities on the Carquinez Strait. Uh, and what uh, Councilmember Kaplan from Oakland is talking about, new potential routes that don't necessarily uh, think about San Francisco as the hub and spoke strategy but looking at other routes uh, that connect uh, other terminals that aren't directly uh, related to San Francisco. That's something that we might see a lot of value in in a, in a post-pandemic world where commute patterns have changed. And it's very unpredictable. We're going to be working uh, to learn and understand what the data tells us in real time uh, as we recover. And the outcome of that business plan process will be a service vision, a long-term service vision for uh, WIDA and SF Bay Ferry Service that will span a couple decades. You know, as we think about the future of these services, um, there's also, you know, there's, of course, the, the boats going across the water, but there's also getting there. And David uh, writes, I was considering taking the ferry from Larkspur to San Francisco, but I need a bike at both ends. I have an electric bike, but the rules prohibit e-bikes. I would love to hear your guest perspective on this. Jim Swindler, why are e-bikes uh, prevented from ferry service? Well, um, I, I, uh, one of the reasons is the, uh, the batteries that are involved in the electric bikes. Um, but I, I would say that um, it depends on uh, like our route from um, Sausalito to San Francisco. Unfortunately, we uh, load and offload at two different levels. So getting an e-bike from one, uh, one level to another is, uh, is a problem. Uh, in Larkspur, we um, will take an, uh, an electric bike because we get out, we, you know, we do board um, at the same level. Um, so, uh, and why, it, why are the batteries a problem on the bikes? Just as, as a risk, like a, a fire risk for the lithium exactly, ion batteries? Exactly. But it's, um, it's not, it's not, not a risk that's not overcome. You just have to, you have to monitor where they're parked on the vessel to make sure that, uh, uh, that you have, you know, a crew member standing by and things like that. So, I mean, it, it doesn't prohibit them. And I was just about to say that uh, in Larkspur, uh, when we're operating out of our San Francisco terminal, uh, the issue of taking a bike from one level to another is not an issue. So we will accept uh, electric bikes uh, here in Larkspur. Because yeah, that definitely seems like a great way of commuting. I'd like to bring in um, Connie from Sausalito, if we could, who just has uh, a nice fairy story. Connie, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning. So tell us your fairy story. 
Oh, uh, I was just calling because um, I proposed to my wife on the San Francisco Sausalito Ferry, and uh, she said yes, and now we've got two kids. <laughs> um, that is a good. That is a good story. Where was it exactly in the in the bay? It was from San Francisco to Sausalito. Now we we actually loved it so much we moved to Sausalito. Oh wow! But like, where you do you remember exactly where you were, like in the water? Uh, I think it's just in the middle of the bay. Got it. Got it. That is a beautiful, uh, definitely one of the most beautiful places you can propose to someone, and uh, I'm glad it worked out. Um, Dan Brecky, um, do you hear a lot of those stories as a transportation reporter of, uh, of people who end up getting married on the, on the bay or the BART? Not married, necessarily, but um, look, uh, you know, KQED's headquarters is over there at uh, Mariposa and Bryant, and uh, after I started working at KQED uh, some years ago, uh, we came up, my wife and I came up with a little ritual to end the week on Friday. I would walk from KQED three miles to the ferry building because I like to stretch my legs. She would ride over on the ferry from Oakland to San Francisco and then we would ride back and, and have a uh, libation on the way. You mentioned the, the pleasures of doing that. And you know, um, the thing is that there's, I think this really touches what and what Connie was saying really touches something about um, the appeal of fairies. It's not rational. It's really emotional. It's partly that you can be out in the open air and take in this incredible water and landscape we have, um, you know, 170 years and we haven't managed to completely ruin it yet. It's still pretty, pretty exciting to see. And the weather and the clouds and everything else, it's a pretty amazing experience. So, yeah, you see it on the boat. And, you know, Kate, my wife, one of the things that she absolutely loved was, you know, there was once a month on the uh, Oakland to uh, San Francisco ferry, there was a a party. People would bring music and there would be, uh, you know, people playing instruments and singing and uh, wine and and everything. So it's, it's not like any other form of yeah. We're talking about Bay Area Ferry Service with Dan Brecky, editor and reporter with KQED News, Seamus Murphy, executive director of the Water Emergency Transportation Authority, and Jim Swindler, deputy general manager of Golden Gate Ferry. What are your ferry questions? We're going to talk about the environmental uh, impacts of ferries when we come back from the break. Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. We'll be back with more forums soon. Coming up in our next hour with Mina Kim, we talk about the imperiled orcas of the Pacific Northwest with Seattle Times environment reporter Linda Mates, whose new book explores the southern resident orca's remarkable intelligence and communication skills and why their once robust population has fallen sharply. To listen to past shows and subscribe to our podcast, visit kqed.org forum. And for the latest updates on our programs and guests, find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. We're at KQED Forum. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about Bay Area Ferry Service with Dan Brecky, an editor and reporter at KQED News, Seamus Murphy, the executive director of the Water Emergency Transportation Authority, and Jim Swindler, the deputy general manager of Golden Gate Ferry. And we'd like to add Bert from San Francisco into our conversation. Welcome, Bert. Thank you. Good morning. Um, Jim uh, mentioned in this the difficulty of expanding the service uh, I think it's probably related to BCDC without knowing any better, uh, and the long lead times uh, for changes. And it occurred to me because I think all the ferries run on diesel right now, mm-hmm. and the, the diesel, even the so-called clean diesel, isn't actually clean diesel. It just reduces the amount for the Bay Area, uh, but it's, it's just the same diesel in terms of uh, um, climate effect. But I wanted to ask, what because of the huge lead time, that you would have for being able to hook up an electrical system to charge the ferries and the number of years it would take if we're going to meet some of our later 2020 goals and, and 2030 goals, that, I think that would be the critical path for it. And I'd just like to find out what the uh, answers would be to that problem. Bert, that's a great question, um, echoed also by Jonathan, one of our listeners, who uh, writes, do the ferry services have any plan to become fossil fuel free? And Mark, who also notes that... Uh, he read that ferries are inefficient, less efficient, I think uh, he means on an emissions basis, um, than riding in a single passenger vehicle. Um, Seamus Murphy, let's um, start with you. Are there plans to electrify uh, the ferries? And of course, that would mean putting in new types of terminals that have new electrical infrastructure. Yeah, absolutely. We've we've started looking at this. Uh, we've taken this really seriously. Uh, there's a, obviously a, a greenhouse gas reductions emission law in California. That's a landmark piece of legislation that was uh, passed uh, more than 10 years ago, and it's gradually being phased in. It applies to transportation modes everywhere, uh, not just ferries, but we're we're subject to it as well. And uh, and so the uh, California uh, Air Resources Board uh, is passing regulations that apply to harbor craft. Uh, we're, we understand what it means for our service. We're looking at zero emissions technology, especially uh, battery electric technology. What we need to understand is uh, how much does it cost to provide the shoreside charging infrastructure necessary to operate those vessels? And there are some vessels that operate over longer distances where it would be a real challenge to mm-hmm. uh, apply either the filters that are required for our for the diesel engines that exist today uh, or operate those with battery electric uh, vessels. Uh, our shorter routes, especially routes under three miles, are all going to be zero emission under uh, those regulations. So the Treasure Island service you talked about uh, that would be launching uh, Mission Bay uh, over to Alameda and Oakland, uh, those are, are very likely to be zero emission. Uh, how soon that can happen really depends on the resources that are available. Uh, but the the state budget included a number of new discretionary grant programs that are targeted towards uh, zero emissions transit infrastructure, buses, trains, but ferries as well. We're looking forward to uh, identifying what our needs are and then tapping into some of those funding sources. Dan Brecky, um, are there examples of other ferry services that are running pure all electric uh, ferries? 
you know, um, I knew this would happen. You throw me a, a curveball that I, I couldn't quite <laughs> handle. Uh, you know, I don't know about other systems. Um, on the Bay, we're sort of at the very uh, at the very beginning of seeing what can be done in terms of zero emission uh, ferry or, or you know watercraft transportation. There is a a pilot this year involving a Hornblower, which is a you know privately uh, operated uh, cruise line. Uh, they do local cruises. And um, they're using hydrogen fuel cell technology. Um, it's pretty exciting when you look at what they're doing. Um, but you know that's one, you know, just one example locally. Um, obviously, this is a much bigger question, um, and there is this kind of development happening uh, worldwide. But you know, sure, I think about what's happening in Norway or what's happening in Hong Kong, for instance, places where you might expect to see that kind of innovation maybe fast-tracked a little bit, but I honestly can't tell you. God. Um, Jim Swindler, uh, Deputy General Manager of Golden Gate Ferry, can you tell me how do, how do ferries compare to a passenger vehicle um, in terms of uh, carbon emissions? Well, that's an interesting question, one that's, um, one that's been asked ac actually for many years, and there are many studies out there, and um, uh, a number of the studies are uh, inconclusive. Uh, some studies come down on the side of ferries, uh, others come down on the side of vehicles. It's a, it's a difficult question. It hasn't been, I haven't heard it asked in a while. And is that because, um, just because the number of riders varies, and so as a result of that variability? Because, I mean, there's a certain amount of diesel going in, right? Um, Exactly. No, absolutely. I mean, you have to look at uh, each uh, each study on a case by case basis, and you have to look at each vessel. For instance, um, for instance, we operate our vessels, uh, our uh, high speed ferries that we operate from Larkspur to San Francisco. We carry four hundred and fifty passengers. So, if you do if you do the math and do the you know do the equation, I would I would expect that in that case, the ferry is more efficient. You do have, you know, it depends on the number of vehicles you're actually taking off the road and uh, the amount of, you know, the distance that they have to travel. So it's a, it's a question that's been asked many times uh, over the years. I've been in this business for a long time and uh, there are many studies out there uh, and some of them are inconclusive. Others, like I said, fall down on, will fall down on the side of the, uh, an automobile. Others will fall down on the side of a ferry. So it's a, it's a difficult question. Gotcha. Let's uh, bring in James from Tiburon into the discussion. Hi there. Uh, I'm, you know, unfortunately, I missed a couple of minutes of the conversation, I'm afraid. But uh, I'm really curious to hear when the towns of Tiburon and Sausalito are going to exist for these guys again. Uh, it's a little bit of a chicken and egg problem. They say they don't have uh, ferries because they don't have riders. Well, there are plenty of riders I know that don't have ferries. People are being forced into uh, driving into the city and busing into the city, finding other ways because there are no ferries anymore. Yeah, Jim Swindler, this is a tough question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, it is, and I, I certainly sympathize uh, with the individual. Uh, we have uh, we have prepared um, over the months uh, a number of different schedules that we're ready to roll out uh, once we see the uh, the demand is there. We're just while, while we're seeing some increase uh, on the Monday through Friday, the commute, uh, uh, our commute routes, we're just not seeing 
um, that much demand. Uh, for instance, the Tiburon Ferry uh, that uh, departs there in the morning uh, only carries a handful of people. Um, so we're, you know, we're, we're cautiously watching. We're optimistic that that, that trend is going to change. Uh, it's the same with Sausalito. We're not carrying many passengers uh, into the city as well. So it is, it's a very difficult question, but one that, uh, as I said, we've looked at a number of different schedules. And uh, as we see things loosen up, I think as Seamus mentioned earlier, this variant um, problem that's uh, causing spikes uh, seems to have actually slowed some of the uh, growth in the weekday ridership that we saw. It's actually slowed it down a little bit. So hopefully that will uh, get taken care of and we'll be off and running again. But at that point, we will definitely start hopefully uh, direct service from Tiburon into the city versus what we're offering now. Here's another tough question. Ron writes, if I look at where the ferries are located, who lives there and who uses the services? It is clear that ferries in the Bay Area of today are a very expensive subsidy to the well-to-do who live in very expensive housing occupying scarce premium real estate near the Bay. How do you respond to that, Shames Murphy, Executive Director, Water Emergency Transportation Authority? I think if you looked at the ridership demographics prior to the pandemic, you'd find that, yeah, it was high income, higher income travelers uh, going to higher income jobs. That certainly hasn't been the case during the pandemic. And I'm not sure the communities that you would look at that are served by the ferry today would really fall under that characterization. You have Vallejo, Richmond, Oakland, uh, areas that are, 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 are not uh, uh, low are not higher income areas. These are uh, communities that need uh, transit service because there are a number of transit dependent uh, riders uh, who exist there, residents that don't have another way to get to work. I think some of them were probably priced out uh, by at least our ferry service at WIDA in the past. And that's why we're doing things a little bit differently this time around, trying to make sure that we're giving everybody access to this travel mode. And, and, and there are a lot of reasons why a ferry uh, travel might not work for somebody, but we don't want cost or accessibility to be either of those reasons. Do you see it as part of your mission as an organization to, to make ferry service more equitable? Or is it just, that would be nice, but it's not part of the core mission? It's been a goal of our board of directors for quite some time. I think we're taking some dramatic steps forward to do that as a part of our pandemic recovery program. Yeah. Let's bring in Dick from San Francisco. Welcome to the show, Dick. Good morning. One of the agencies has emergency in its name, and I'd like to know what if we have another major earthquake and the roads and bridges are impacted, how resilient uh, the ferry system would be. Are the piers earthquake-proof? Are the road access roads uh, to the piers so okay? And who or what has priority uh, for using the ferry as a disaster? That's a great question. Seamus Murphy? Yeah, we are set up as an emergency response organization. It's another reason why it's important to add vessels to our fleet, to add terminals that uh, we can access in different communities around the Bay, because 
we just don't know. It's unpredictable how a disaster might affect different communities and how our resources would be deployed in the case of an emergency. It's really going to depend on the, the details uh, of that emergency and, uh, and what Cal OES, the California Office of Emergency Services and other emergency response organizations around the Bay uh, direct us to do and request of us in terms of the, the resources that we have available. But we've always looked at our service uh, and expanding it, making it more available around the Bay, not as being just tied to reducing congestion or enhancing uh, access to transit for different communities. We also see it as expanding our ability to respond in the case of an emergency. Uh, we live in the Bay Area, we live in California, earthquakes are top of mind all the time. And we know that a lot of traditional travel modes like bridges and, and, and transit and uh, rail systems might not be able to operate. And uh, in those cases, there's a good chance that water transit might be the only mode available to people to bring in first responders and evacuate people in those cases. You hope it never happens, but we have to make sure we're ready for it. What did we learn about that kind of water-based emergency response from the 1989 earthquake? Yeah, it was it was absolutely critical, uh, and and it was critical uh, in in 1906. It's uh, you know likely going to be critical again. It might uh, be an earthquake. It might be something else. I think we're all uh, seeing uh, uh, wildfires that are uh, more prevalent. There's uh, other issues that might cause a need for water transit to be available. So it is uh, it is and has been an effective emergency response tool. Yeah. Dan Brecky, um, I want to ask you about to a more speculative future, you know, go out 20, 30 years. What's the role and where might ferry service be uh, in play across the Bay Area? Well, it's a bit of an imponderable, but, you know, I, I think what I would do is is look around the world uh, for uh, similarly well-endowed uh, harbors like we have here in San Francisco Bay. So you might think of Sydney Harbor, uh, Hong Kong, I mentioned before, um, you know, uh, Norway is, is a bit more dispersed, uh, the Seattle area. Those are places that really depend on uh, having this water transportation, you know, woven into the, the uh, overall uh, transportation network. And I think there's a, a fantastic start that's been made over the last, you know, actually going back to the Loma Prieta earthquake, but especially in the last 20 years, last decade, uh, it's been accelerating. And I think, you know, the, what we might look for, and, you know, I, I shouldn't neglect uh, mentioning New York, um, you know, there is a, a much more robust sort of water taxi and short hop ferry service that you see around uh, New York, uh, you know, Manhattan to Brooklyn, uh, Manhattan over to the New Jersey shore, that could be a model for what we, we see here. And um, so I would look for, you know, what, what does that look like? Many more terminals, you know, places like we've mentioned Hercules, which actually has kind of a, uh, might have a, a good, um, you know, robust transit center type connection if, if the, the uh, uh, access in the bay can be dredged there. Uh, we talked about Martinez. Um, we, would, we would see many more nodes. And you mentioned Rebecca Kaplan earlier talking about um, trying to shift the, the, uh, the, the focus of the service from downtown San Francisco and, and disperse it, uh, you know, emphasize Oakland a bit more. I think all those things could happen. Um, it really does depend a lot on how we envision transportation spending in, in the uh, future. We've, we've emphasized 
highways for uh, more than a century now. And it's going to take a, a shift in focus to all sorts of modes. I mean, we, you know, we know about BART, the second uh, Trans-Bay crossing, high-speed rail, all sorts of other projects that are out there to happen in the next couple of decades. But that's what it would take, a, a major, major investment on that scale to sort of see this kind of nodal network um, develop, I think. And I, you know, I'm quite interested in that, and I can imagine that future um, but it does seem like there are some fundamental environmental questions that have to be settled. And Mark um, has some deeper uh, probing there. He says, how did they excuse not having started planning to go electric when bus systems like AC Transit have been experimenting with hydrogen fuel cells for more than 10 years and are starting to run a lot of hybrid buses? Why have we not studied the efficiency of individual routes in the Bay? Could this be used to decide if they continue or are converted to electric more quickly? And uh, Shames Murphy, I'll throw this one to you. Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, it, it, we might be getting a late start there uh, compared to some other travel modes. The way that the state regulations are being phased in uh, is also uh, phased or phased in bus uh, uh, zero emission technology earlier than it has Harbourcraft. Um, uh, we're, we're looking seriously at it now. Uh, and I think that's the, the main concern is that we need to make sure we're planning now for that future. Uh, we are taking steps to, to do that. Uh, the efficiency of the routes has certainly been a top of mind focus for us uh, for WIDA's entire existence. We've been establishing routes that are likely to grow uh, quickly from a ridership standpoint. I think we've seen ridership on our system play out and confirm that we've done that effectively. And we do need to make sure that we're keeping that that in mind in the in the future ridership is going to drive successful transit the more riders that you have on a vessel the more greenhouse gas reduction uh, you're going to achieve and uh, that that should be our focus in our business plan uh, at WIDA which includes our analysis of zero emissions uh, vessels is going to be the, the the resource for all of that study to take place. Jim Swindler I just wanted to give you a chance to answer this one too I mean why why wasn't planning done earlier for a zero emission future? Well, I, I think uh, Seamus hit, hit the nail on the head. Uh, you know, we've been a little bit late to the game, but I would point out that, um, you know, the, the, the problem that we have to solve is a little more difficult than the problem that they had to solve on the bus. I mean, we're talking about uh, vessels that carry, um, as, I, as I mentioned before, 450 passengers and people want to get from point A to point B in, in 30 minutes or less. Uh, they value their travel time. So, it's a bit more. It's a. It's, it's a bit more complicated uh, onboard ferry vessels uh, without getting into all the science of it. But um, so I, I would say again, we're a little late to the game. But uh, as Seamus pointed out, we're catching up quickly. We've been Morning, everyone. We've been talking about Bay Area Ferry Service with Jim Swindler, Deputy General Manager of Golden Gate Ferry, Seamus Murphy, Executive Director of the Water Emergency Transportation Authority, and Dan Brecky, Editor and Reporter with KQED News. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. 
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.